the monkeypox is uh, uh, in the family of smallpox. The likelihood of that being a worldwide pandemic, I think, is relatively low. Welcome to the Rain Insights Podcast. I'm Emily Donahue. Let's listen as Rain founder David Lawrence speaks with doctors Fred Southwick and Bill Lang for our weekly coronavirus update. Fred and Bill, once again, uh, thank you for spending time with us. Um, a lot to update people on uh, since we last spoke, uh, just in terms of data in the last three weeks. For example, New York has gone from uh, low to moderate to high in terms of the reporting of infection rates and recognizing that a lot of people are testing at home. And so these rates may be represent an underreported number. What can you share with us, uh, both in terms of what the data is saying and maybe some of the reasons for this uh, spike in infections? David, I, I, I don't mean to be just facetious about this, but kind of the key theme that I've been using with everybody I work with is that, unfortunately, even though I was so optimistic before, COVID's just not going away. I don't mean to say that I'm pessimistic that COVID is going to be a major impact and change our lifestyles, but COVID people are going to continue getting COVID for the, going to continue to get infected with COVID for the foreseeable future. And the main reason is that Omicron now just keeps turning out new variants and each one's just a little bit more infectious. Um, fortunately, they are, if anything, they each one gets perhaps a little less virulent, but, but they're certainly, they're not, there's not significant, they're not getting more virulent at least. Um, but the problem is, that Omicron is enough different than the original uh, COVID, SARS-CoV-2 original virus and then the the original variants that neither vaccines nor prior infections are conferring immunity. And then beyond that, even even we are seeing people who have the newer variants, such as the BA2 variant, they're still susceptible to getting infected again within a matter of of probably double digit weeks, but not multiple months. Just a you know, on the order of three months out, there's once again susceptible. But with all of that, it's infection, and in most people, but not all, most people, it's like a bad cold. And that's that's kind of where we are. So it's, we don't have this huge impactful disease process, just large numbers of it, and we're not getting away from that. Yeah, I agree. I'm I'm really disappointed myself. I can't believe over two years into this, and we're still having infections. But that's the immune, the ability of this virus to escape the pre immune, the immunity from prior infections and from the vaccine is uh, really impressive. And the good news, though, is if you have the vaccine, particularly, you do get some protection. And you're much less likely to be hospitalized. Unfortunately, in our community, we do have some individuals that are immunocompromised. The very elderly still may be seriously impacted by these variants. So it's it's very frustrating. But if you really go over what we can do about it, um, really the the mass will help a little bit. But unfortunately, because it's getting so much more efficient uh, in spreading by aerosol, the masks are not going to be as impactful. Uh, the social distancing isn't going to be as impactful. The key is to for everyone to be vaccinated and to have the latest uh, booster 
because the higher your antibody levels um, at the time you're exposed, the more likely you are to have mild disease. I I agree with all of that, Fred. And then and it's just the one of the things I'm hoping for is that we will have a booster that is geared more towards Omicron um, and the Omicron variants this fall. And it's looking like we're going to. Um, Moderna was very adamant. And I think we talked about this last time, so I won't go in depth on this, but that's, I think, going to be very helpful. But nothing, even including a new vaccine, looks like it's going to have durability in preventing mild symptomatic infections although it's, it is appearing that it's very effective at preventing serious disease and death. Yeah, one thing that I, I see is under development, which may be helpful, is a nasal spray vaccine. That would increase the amount of IgA production and really could abort, uh, in fact, actually contracting the infection and spreading it. So I'm hoping that that will be released in the, in the near future because that really could have an impact. Well, and then since we're talking about other kinds of vaccines that are in the pipeline, it looks like the um, Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, in conjunction with a consortium of European universities, are developing a generic coronavirus vaccine that has done extremely well in um, monkey simian um, models and now is in phase one studies. But even if that works, um, because it's not being done under the warp speed type of approach, we wouldn't have that available to us until next next spring at the earliest, probably later than that. But one of the one of the things that is very encouraging about all of this is that as we are looking at the current numbers, which are probably a, the case numbers, what CDC is saying is they they estimate that it's about the actual numbers are about four times what is being reported, and clinically seeing various populations out there, I I agree with that. That's a that is about what we are seeing, um, but the case fatality rate is now down to about 0.1%, which is roughly equivalent to the case fatality rate for flu. But right now, the the number of cases of COVID are so much more than the number of cases of flu, even in a bad flu season, that Omicron is still more concerning on a population level, but on on an individual level, if you get COVID, you should be no more concerned about the chance of dying than you would be with the flu. Uh, it's not, you still don't want to get it. I don't, I don't want to get the flu, but I'm not concerned about Omicron putting, putting me in the hospital or, or dying any more than I would be with flu. Let me summarize uh, some of the takeaways here, which is that uh, I'm hearing what you're saying is that uh, the numbers of infections that are being reported actually undercount uh, the number of people who are coming down with that. That's, and it is uh, ubiquitous. Number two is that the good news is that because of the vaccines and and boosters, um, the hospitalization and obviously the death rates are not what they otherwise would be. And there's a lot of good news in terms of the efficacy of vaccines and whatever other precautions people are taking. Uh, But that said, uh, you're not particularly optimistic this is going away anytime soon. And so this may constitute the new normal. Just to mention uh, BA4 and BA5, which have mutations 
in the binding domain of the spike protein, it turns out that they are approximately 15% more contagious than the BA2. So the escalation continues, and I understand in Portugal now, that's about 35% of the strains. So anytime a variant is more contagious, it will spread through the community. So we have BA4 and BA5 to look forward to, and there'll probably be a BA6, a BA7, and a BA8, uh, because the, as we've mentioned many times, this is an RNA virus. It doesn't replicate faithfully. It makes mutations. And every now and then, one of those mutations is an advantage as far as being more contagious. And therefore, that particular variant will survive and spread. And that's what's going on over and over and over again. Okay. And so this obviously militates for people not only who have not been vaccinated to reconsider their decision, for people to be boosted and obviously, as CDC or other guidelines may change, people may need a second uh, booster. People beyond those who are over 55 or have pre-existing medical uh, conditions. Now, where I think um, our audience would find it particularly helpful is in light of what this data is showing and in light of the conclusions around the data, what should companies be doing, what should government agencies be doing, what should schools be doing in terms of their day-to-day operations and how they function with their respective, whether it's students, employees, you know, partners, etc. Uh, David, my guidance has been to watch carefully the CDC uh, impact level maps, the community impact maps. That's the red, yellow, green one. Um, the reason is that I think that they adequately reflect not just cases, but what do the cases really mean in the community? Are they getting people sick? Or is it something that's just passing as a as a cold? So that's one level. Then the second part of that is, as you go up into higher levels, you should think back to the Uh, Swiss cheese, the layered approach to mitigation that we've talked about multiple times in the past. Um, This layered layered approach um, has multiple components, including maximizing the vaccinations in the workplace, whether you can require them or if you're in a location where you're only able to um, heavily encourage and market the vaccinations, controlling the density in the workplace, spreading people out, letting people work from home maximizing the ventilation in in work areas, which includes maximizing filtration if you don't have great ventilation. Reducing contacts. Uh, You don't have to have meetings in person. People can meet virtually. And then as levels get higher, you can think about doing case tracing. Most places in in the world at this point are not requiring case tracing anymore, with the exception of California is one major area that still does require case tracing. Um, But as you get more cases in a community, you may want to consider case tracing. And then to me, the last level is considering testing programs. And I say that's a last level because one of the things we're, we're seeing at least, and I'll be interested um, in Fred's take on this, is we're seeing that tests are not positive early on as much as they were. That people, they develop symptoms, they test, they're negative, they go another day, they test again, and they're positive. So testing programs may not may not be as useful now as as 
simple health screening programs. You know, if you come into an event, do you have cold, cold-like symptoms? No, okay, you can come in. Yes, you need to test. So I think that we just looking at those various layers and kind of peeling off and on layers based on the community level of impact. As with regards to the antigen test and its sensitivity, it's well known that it's about a hundredfold less sensitive as far as number of virions it can detect uh, compared to RT-PCR. But at the levels usually where it's negative, that correlates with a low enough concentration of virus that usually individuals, uh, even though they're infected, will not be will not spread it to others. So even though the antigen test is not as sensitive to PCR, it will pick up for the most part those that would be capable of spreading it to many people. Certainly, it would eliminate the super spreaders. So I still think the antigen test is very very helpful. And uh, what I tell people when the when the incidence um, is low, perhaps one test is, is sufficient. When they, you get into a higher level, medium or high level, then I would, I would be more satisfied with two negative tests uh, back-to-back over a 24-hour period. And then I think you can be pretty sure they aren't infected. But a single test, when the prevalence is getting high, may be a false negative. Fred, just to be clear, I, I didn't mean that I don't think tests are useful. I don't think they're useful as a screening, like in a, just testing everybody coming into an office or a setting like that. That's where we're not seeing it as as useful. But clearly, if someone is, is, is at risk, whether they have symptoms or in a very high, um, high-risk setting, then yes, very much so, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I think the problem with getting, when you have a high prevalence, uh, a single screening test maybe a false negative. Uh, you're right. When the levels are very, very low, the chance of a false negative are much, much, redu- are much reduced. But uh, in the areas where you're going to want to screen because there's a high prevalence, a single test may not be sufficient. I agree. But one of the other considerations for, for companies, I think that's important, is it's the way things are now and the way, especially in the Northeast, and I think it's happening, it's it's increasing, well, we know it's increasing across the country, is what are you trying to, to, what is your organization trying to do? And I think what you're really trying to do is maximize your productivity. Actually, I think there's four levels. So level one is comply with the law. Number two is maximize productivity. Number three is is show your workforce that you care about them. And number four is be good, be a good corporate citizen in the community. So I think it was regards to the productivity. What you really want to do is make sure is minimize the, ch- the chance that you have chains of transmission or super spreader events. And what we are seeing in workplaces now is that most infections are happening outside the workplace. And in a, especially in a fully vaccinated workplace, we're simply not seeing chains of transmission or super spreader events in workplaces. So let me uh, jump in, deliver a bit of a summation. So uh, the continued use of Swiss cheese, the Swiss cheese approach of multiple precautions, um, the expression all politics is local, what I'm hearing both of you say is that you have to be mindful of the infection rates in a locale and not just overall, and the CDC does a pretty good job in identifying what's happening in a particular region. Um, The third aspect here is that 
uh, I'm hearing you both say that there's no reason uh, to sort of engage in these types of direct meetings, mass events, et cetera, unless they're necessary. And I like this summation of what, you know, not just businesses, Bill, but all organizations are trying to achieve. Obviously, there's legal compliance and there is, as you said, maximizing productivity and then, you know, being a good corporate citizen and obviously very, very important for employees to know that you care. And that's a balancing approach. Um, so with that said, um, I'd like to get your perspective because there's a human element to all this. And I can speak from the uh, being right at the heart of New York City is that people are tired. Uh, Fred, you said you can't believe that two plus years into this, we're still where we are. And I think people have thrown up their hands and um, sort of said, I got to go back to living my life. And whether it's working, um, recreating, socializing, etc., that's what people are doing. And so um, I'm just curious how you factor in a very real sort of human nature to this equation, no less the the, you know, some of the politics put that aside. And uh, I had relatives who recently uh, ended up flying from one place to another and they reported back to me. It was masks off in the airport extensively, no less on the plane before it took off and certainly when it landed. So uh, balancing everything that you have said, what's to be done here in terms of influencing behavior around this issue? I'll, I'll give you my my approach and what I'm telling a lot of the organization I'm working with is at this point with it with as infectious as this strain these these two strains that are circulating especially in the United States the BA two and the BA two point one two point one you have to assume you're going to get it I mean that's unfortunately that's where we are so so what you really need to do is to make sure that if you're going to get it that You've taken the actions you need to, to minimize the risk of it getting severe. And that's by far and away number, way number one is getting vaccinated, getting boosted, and considering a second booster. So that's the biggest thing. That's If you're going to get it, at least don't get it bad. And then the second part is, yeah, okay, I'm going to assume I'm going to get it, but I still don't want to get it. And I'm going to live my life. And I'm telling people and telling organizations, live your life, do your business, but that doesn't mean you'd have to throw all mitigations to the wind. Go back to the, the layered approach again and do the things that, that can be done that are not, not totally disruptive to your organization. And, and then dial up some of those other things if you have a high-risk event or you're, you happen to be in a very high-risk area. But, but I'm, I'm recommending people get back to your business, get back to your life, do the things you want to do, take Take special care of those people who are at high risk. You really don't want them to get it, but live with it. Yeah, they, so modulation. I agree with, uh, Go ahead, Fred. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but one other thing, David, and this is the nature of most individuals. They want everything go to go back to the way it was. Unfortunately, that's the nature of modern society and the nature of infectious diseases. Uh, it's not going to go back to the way it was, and therefore our behavior does have to permanently change. 
And that will mean that in certain, when the risk is higher, we would have to down masks for a temporarily for a time being. We'll have to avoid restaurants uh, temporarily. We'll have to change our behavior. And then when it goes back down, we can come back out and uh, do those interactions. But I don't, I think the days of pretending it's not going to, it's not going to infect us and that we don't have to take these precautions are over. And therefore, we need to be very, very flexible. And remember, this is just one of many potential infections that could spread worldwide in the future. So uh, this is really preparation for other pandemics, which are highly likely to develop over the ensuing decades. Okay, so Fred, uh, first of all, I, I think of the two M's as I listen to you, moderation and modulation, uh, as being uh, your prescription for how to think about this and obviously staying alert to what's happening in your locale. Fred, you open the door maybe just in the final minute or two and possibly a topic for our future podcast. Um, there are, you mentioned the potential of other infectious diseases, uh, this disease, which has been around for a while, monkeypox, is now grabbing headlines again. And I don't know whether you have just, you know, a little bit of insight for our audience with the notion we'll be monitoring this and commenting on it more. Sure. Uh, monkeypox is uh, uh, in the family of smallpox. And it gives, it starts off with uh, lesions, raised lesions on the face and then spreads uh, to the trunk and the arms. So, it, and it, uh, some of the strains in Africa actually have a uh, 10 to 12% mortality. So it can be a very serious infection and somewhat disfiguring. Uh, in 2003, in the United States, we had a mini outbreak in Texas. And the, the, this virus is carried in certain animals and particularly rodents. And that, at that time, it was prairie dogs were carrying the, the virus and uh, humans picked it up. So it appears human-to-human -human spread is relatively uncommon, but animal-to-human spread is usually the way that it, it spreads. The good news is that if you are up-to-date on your smallpox vaccine, that is protective. But it should have been a vaccine within three or four years uh, to be protective. And the other good news is, unlike the COVID uh, pandemic, which spreads like wildfire so quickly, you can't uh, do any uh, what's called a ring vaccination. So if it's uh, cases show up in one area, you vaccinate all the people around that geographic area and you can shut down the infection very quickly because it's, it's not as rapid a spread um, as the uh, SARS-CoV-2. So I think it's more manageable. The likelihood of that being a worldwide pandemic, I think, is relatively low. All right. Well, possibly more to come. Fred, Bill, as always, uh, thank you. Thanks, thank David. You. Dr. Bill Lang is an expert in public health responses to biological incidents, including pandemics. Dr. Fred Southwick is an infectious disease specialist at the University of Florida College of Medicine. Both doctors are part of the RAIN Expert Network. Individuals and organizations turn to RAIN for risk intelligence that cuts through the hype to focus on what they need to know, what to expect, and what to do. Sign up for our coronavirus solution. Visit us at RAINNetwork.com. That's R-A-N-E-Network.com. 
I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening.